Hi everyone, welcome back to the Sports of Life podcast. My name is Charlotte. And I am Chuck Mounts Jr. Um, and we have a very exciting multi-part series for you. Um, Alright Charlotte, now tell us, tell us about, uh, uh, yeah, tell us about this event that we went to. So, we went to, we went down to St. Louis for the Disabled Hockey Festival, uh, and we got to see multiple different types of disabled hockey and meet and talk to a lot of different people, both players, coaches, and off-ice support systems. um, Yeah, it was fantastic. Who are helping the game of sports in all different ways. Um, The game of hockey specifically. The game of hockey in all different ways. Yeah, and I think it was a really unique experience and you know i'm not sure people realize exactly how accessible hockey is it's mm-hmm. it's hockey has um there there have been a lot of adaptive techniques used yeah. to make hockey very accessible yeah like, and i think in part two you'll hear some of those stories which are yeah. and in part one yeah, but, yeah definitely um part one is going to be more from the support staff perspective and then put two you will hear from the coaches and the mm-hmm. players themselves yeah um, and we may have another part but we'll wait to see on that yeah but there's just we, there was so much content um from this event um it was a fabulous event i believe it was at the centene center uh, in it, st louis yeah it was at multiple facilities actually oh that's right but yes we only there was only so much time in the day and things were going on at the same time. So we spent time at the Centene Community Ice Center, which is where the NHL's St. Louis Blues practice. Um, and it's, it's a state-of-the-art facility, and it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, and I think you will actually hear a little bit about fa- facility um, later on from a very special guest who is directly involved in yeah yeah things. well yeah um yeah so stay tuned yeah stay tuned for that that was a great conversation so let's go ahead and kick it off we i, I think you know our audience is going to want to hear these interviews maybe more yeah. than want to hear us <laughs> you know so um yeah. so in, in this first part um we're talking to several people the first person that we're talking to um is a as a master's uh candidate a master's student at st louis university Uh, which is my my dad's alma mater. And so we'll go ahead and, yeah, let's kick off that interview. So, hi, uh, my name's Chuck Mounts Jr. and my daughter here. Charlotte. And, uh, yeah, we're we're doing a new podcast called uh, Sports Are Life, where we talk um, about the intersection of athletes, inclusivity, activism, um, and we're here today at the USA Hockey uh, Disability um, Disabled Hockey Disabled Festival. Hockey Festival. And, um, and so, yeah, we have a, a guest with us today. And if you could just uh, take a second, introduce yourself. 
Yeah, sure. So my name's uh, Colton Doherty. I'm a master's engineering student at um, St. Louis University. And I work in a lab um, that's focused on kind of the intersection of people and technology. Um, the lab's called um, the Chrome Lab. It stands for Collaborative Haptics, Robotics, and Mechatronics. Um, and I work a bit on kind of the accessibility of, of sports, um, specifically in the, uh, in the visually impaired sector. Um, and at this event, um, we have a project that's focused in um, blind ice hockey and improving the sport. Okay, that's awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, how, uh, how you got involved in the, in the Chrome Lab. Yes, yeah, so I, um, graduating from undergrad, I was actually very much interested in like medical devices um, and R &D, research and development, R&D of those types of devices. Um, just because I always, I became an engineer because I want to make, um, make things that, you know, made lives better. That's what I wanted to do from the beginning. Um, and actually, in my search for kind of research and development job in the medical sphere, I was looking at St. Louis University, a very much medical um, kind of school, and I kind of just stumbled upon this lab um, being, you know, um, this lab that's very much focused on, on people and technology. And, and also, I heard about this project with sports. Um, I personally didn't play ice hockey growing up. I actually played, like, roller hockey around in the neighborhood, but my main sport was, like, baseball, also played some basketball and soccer. And for me, um, sports kind of shaped very much who I, who I was, um, just as a person. And so just the, when I heard about the ability to work on a project that could give more people that ability to grow in that sector, um, in that section, uh, and be able to, you know, have more access to the importance of sports and things like that, I just kind of jumped on and got really excited. So that was about, that was in 2021, um, mm -hmm. spring of 2021 is when I accepted the offer to come here to St. Louis to work on this project. Okay, great, great, great. Um, so tell us a little bit, of, uh, so you mentioned a little bit about what the what Chrome Labs is about. Do you know how they got started and, and how like they, yeah, just a little bit about how the, the history there? Yeah, so the, the Chrome Lab was started by my advisor. Um, her name's Jenna Gerlowitz. Um, she is also an engineer by trait. And the lab actually um, kind of started out of her, her, um, her main project, which is creating um, more accessible uh, visual graphics via touchscreens through the use of vibration, right? Mm -hmm. So in the visually impaired community, and well, just in general in the world, there's been a huge shift towards um, the graphical communication of information, right? Graphs, pictures, things like that. And, you know, especially COVID really showed this problem too with like now technology all being virtual on iPads and things like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, the current solutions, which are like Braille and um, kind of dot plots um, and screen readers, don't really work great with like graphics, right? And graphs and, you know, learning these STEM concepts. So her project is to basically take, can we take the touchscreen's use of like vibration, its ability to vibrate, and can we have it where an individual can like run their finger along a graph and that touchscreen will vibrate in ways where it can communicate like they're at graph to basically, you know, so the focus is STEM accessibility. And that was her project um, when she was actually a grad student. So that project kind of just kind of expanded into the, you know, into what is the Chrome Lab because um, she had, you know, experience, you know, designing devices with um, visually impaired individuals um, and that kind of just expanded into a, a bunch of other projects. So we have projects ranging from like what I mentioned um, and also kind of projects in working with both deaf and blind individuals. Mm -hmm. So essentially their entire language is through um, touch. Um, and so we have a grad student in our lab who works on a project on that's focused on how do we kind of create like a... Um, 
you know, a communication system like a cell phone where you can talk to someone in a different room. Um, but if you can't hear or see, just communicate through the sense of touch. So wow. essentially I touch something on my yeah. body, you know, a touch, a sensor, someone else feels that same tapping on them so they can communicate like through rooms. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a projects all kind of throughout yeah, that. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stuff I didn't know about, but silly cool. Yeah. Um, can you tell us specifically about how the blind hockey technology works? Yeah, sure. So um, the currently they use, um, I call it a glorified tin can. Uh, so the sport actually started with, um, they'd have a tin can with little metal balls in it. So when they'd hit the tin can, it would rattle. Um, and they've slightly upgraded now to, it's a basically a thin sheet metal puck. I believe it's 22 gauge metal steel with like six ball bearings inside. And it's about three times the size of a normal hockey puck and um, a lot heavier too. And so this puck, basically when it's hit, it rattles and so players are able to localize the puck based off that sound um additionally um some of the players right have lower levels of vision um so they are able to see some um things especially like the boards and other players and some players are actually able to track the puck based off sight because it is so big and it moves a little bit slower but there are some players who track it only on sound um the goalies especially who either have to be completely blind or have to wear a blindfold only localize the sound via its noise. So that's why it's important that the puck is kind of always making noise mm-hmm. so that those players who do rely only on the audio um, feedback of it can localize it. Yeah. Um, could, could you explain, like, how maybe some of those players who don't see as well as the others could not run into, like, the wall? I don't know. If, yeah, like yeah. So I, I would – I. This is from my experience talking to them. You know, some other players, yeah. the actual players, I think, would have a better a better viewpoint of yeah. this. Um, from, from what my understanding is, um, most of the players, um, or at least a lot of the players, especially the offensive players, have, um, you know, visual, visual um, diagnostics or diagnoses that they do have some level of functional vision. So they see enough to be able to see other players and boards, um, not necessarily be able to, you know, see the puck. Um, goalies are all, always specifically blind because that is one position yeah. you don't have to skate around, right? Um, and you yeah. can kind of touch the goalpost to reorientate yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is why that position is kind of like reserved for fully blind oh, individuals. Okay. So they do have a position. There are a couple um, players, I think, who have extremely low levels of vision or are blind and actually do play like defensive positions, which is extremely impressive because, you know, they do basically localize everything, not just the puck, other players and the boards, just based off sound and feel. And I honestly, I, it's magic to me. I, I'm not quite sure how they do that. Um, I think there's a player from, from Chicago who's really good at it. It's, it's incredible, his spatial awareness, yeah. um, kind of without, I think, being able to see or being able to see very little. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure how they do it. <laughs> it's quite crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of challenges have you faced um, just in your role of with the what you're doing. Yeah, so with working on, we're trying to kind of develop solutions to make this kind of old-fashioned, you know, old tin can, kind of upgrade tin can even better by making, you know, it more durable as well as kind of incorporating some electronics so it doesn't, um, so it does make sound when it stops moving, like we mentioned, so the yeah. players that who only use um, audio can still localize it. And one of the challenges we faced is, um, right, 
Blind ice hockey is a sport, and in any sport, it is extremely reliant on, you know, sense of habit. And with sense of habit, when there's something like that, people are extremely resilient to change, like anyone would be in a sport, right? Um, So, as I mentioned, I grew up baseball my whole life. I always use the example about two or three years ago, the MLB tried to, like, shrink the seams down by, like, half a millimeter, and everyone lost their minds. (laughs) No one would shut up about it for months. It it was like the league was going to shut down, right? And it was interesting is, you know, that's how any sport is, including blind ice hockey. So a lot of times we'll have these like technological, you know, very cool technology ideas or technological improvements that we think could like improve the sport a lot. But it's a very different stimulus. Right. And there's a lot of hesitancy towards that. Rightfully so, because it's different because players are so used to what already exists. And so that's one of the biggest challenges we face. And the other challenge we face is, um, you know, to produce kind of constant noise. You need some type of like electrical power. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In blind ice hockey, uh, it is uh, wet, cold, and a ton of forces all the time, which are three of the worst cases for electronics. Yeah. Um, so the, the durability becomes uh, another challenge, too. Um, but I think that this, the most important challenge to me is you know the ability of creating solutions that are better and make the sport more accessible and allow more people to play it and improve in it while still you know understanding that people have been playing the sport for a long time so you have to account for that and any change you do make kind of has to be kind of gradual and that's kind of we've why we've adopted kind of more of a a pseudo solution approach as in you know whatever we create can be used as a tool not a permanent replacement or at least not a replacement right now but a tool that can eventually lead to kind of a more permanent solution sure 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 um so i I guess when you're trying to implement some of these new technologies um is there a particular way that you try to go about testing it? Not only just to test the technology itself, but that was my initial question was how do you test the technology, but then adding in the, you know, the change, right? This is going to be something new. So, um, yeah, what are some things that you guys have, have done to really, you know, sort of try to make that happen more smoothly? Yeah, so, so again, as I mentioned, our, our testing process is focused around the idea. I kind of call it, I've kind of turned it like sneaking in change, <laughs> as in we're trying to change things to make, you know, the puck more durable so they yeah. have to buy less and, you know, for it to make sound when it stops moving. But we want to keep that sound pretty much the same. Uh, we yeah. want the size of the puck to be about the same. Yeah. So everything we do, I want to kind of sneak it in in a way where the players feel about the same stimulus or they hear, see, feel, whatever about the same stimulus, it's delivered just in a slightly different way, either, and that being either making it more efficient or more accessible to other individuals. Um, so our testing is all focused around basically, we take what they currently use, and then we take what we've made, and we just compare them, and basically any difference um, is highlighted, and we try to avoid those differences. So for example, like acoustic testing is a big thing we do. And so we basically look into two different, you know, for versions or two different ways to look at the acoustics. One being is like overall loudness. Like, is it about the same loudness? That's important. And so we look at that. The other thing we look at is how does the sound like actually sound, especially with like frequencies and tones mm-hmm. and um, especially in a hockey rink where the acoustics, right, are very complicated and there's a lot of echoes. It's very important that you have, you know, certain types of tones yeah. echo better or worse. And so we do testing to make sure that whatever we create, either electronics or whatever like physical mechanical modifications we make to their current puck have similar enough acoustics. 
And that's kind of what we do at first to bench top to see if we're relatively close. Mm -hmm. And if we're somewhat close to the mark, then our approach is to get what's known as like an MVP or a minimal viable product, yeah. right? Out to kind of teams as quick as possible. We work closely with the St. Louis Blues Blind Ice yeah. Hockey Club yeah. since we're placed in St. Louis. Yeah. And so basically the second, you know, as soon as we can, we try to get stuff in their hands. Okay. Um, so in my terms, they can tear it to shreds. Because um, when, it, when yeah. it is user-centered design, um, it's a it's a tedious process and you know yeah. it's important to get stuff into users hands because they'll tell you things that you never thought of yeah. and you know it's awesome too that this community is also very passionate um so they'll definitely be constructive about it but they'll they'll let you know kind of you know their critiques yeah. pretty early and pretty clearly yeah and so that's a pretty good way yeah. to to figure that out yeah oh, that's yeah. cool and with any science project things are gonna fail and you'll have to do something again yeah. <laughs> try again yeah yeah so yeah Cool. Yeah. Um, so, um, I guess the question is: So, how can people learn more about um, Chrome Labs and what you what you do and and so forth? How can they? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have a, a lab website. Um, if you just uh, Google Chrome, so C H R O M E Lab, and then it would, it's also helpful to throw in a slew there. So <laughs> Chrome Lab yeah. slew slew being S L U because um, you might see. I think there's a Chrome Music Lab. Somewhere that's Probably. not us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it's C H R O M E and then S L U. Um, it gives you Chrome Slew, and it's a it's a site where we have a, a you know a bunch of different projects we talk about, and um, yeah, we go a little bit in the into the Blind Ice Hockey Puck project, but you can learn about all the other kind of work we do working with um, individuals um, with impairments, yeah. uh, visual impairments specifically. Yeah, and I you know I um, thought of this as. Uh, earlier in the interview and I just remember this question asked but you know you came into the Chrome Labs you, you know, mentioned that sports has been you know a big part of your life you wanted uh, to help people with technology um, has has been working so this may be a loaded question because your boss may listen to this but how is everything going for you in, in that regard and, and you know being a good fit and, and being able to work on what you're doing um, and has anything surprised you um, that you hadn't thought of, you know, before you started working at Chrome? Yeah, it's it's definitely been a good fit. And I definitely enjoy it. It's it's a really cool experience to be able to combine like the technical engineering side um, and be able to do kind of these cool like acoustic studies that are like very technical and like I'm able to do some like interesting math from like analyzing how we're affecting the acoustics. But it's also interesting to be able to kind of look at the other side and just be able, you know look at a much more of a, a sports side of saying like, all right, you know, here's the ball or the puck or whatever. It moves like uh -huh. this. It sounds like this. And being able to kind of take, you know, my experience of like, you know, understanding that like when you are playing a sport is you don't think, right. You're not, if you think you, you lose, you're too slow. Right. So right, there's this right. idea of like all these habits and these habits of how used to you are of very specific things. And to kind of transfer that between like the testing, like I mentioned, of being able to look at that. That is, that is really interesting. I really enjoy it. Um, one thing, it didn't necessarily surprise me. I kind of knew it going in, but it's yeah. definitely very apparent. Is just that, um, you know, as I mentioned before, um, it's, it's sports are very much habit-based. And um, yeah. when it comes with, like, user design, you do have to be um, – users are the experts. So we focus on designing with them, as in they're a part of the design process, which is um, – it's extremely important and it's extremely valuable and that's how you create products that people will actually want to use yeah, yeah. Um, and you know that's how, how you actually you know do something that hopefully yeah. matters a bit but that that process is um, for like people looking to go into the field the process is tough it, yeah. it can be 
Um, it's very important to get honest feedback and make sure you have open lines of communication with users. And, you know, you want to be clear to them that, like, I want, you know, no holes barred, you know, don't spare feelings here. This is a conversation about how do we make things better? You know, yeah. what's wrong with this? How do we improve? And um, it can be a bit discouraging sometimes. It is because it is important to receive that feedback. But, you yeah. know, if you spend yeah. a lot of time on something, you have a lot of hopes for it. Yeah. And they kind of pull, you know, they give you, they bring up a point of something you didn't think about. And it kind of makes that idea you had pretty obsolete. It can be disappointing yeah. sometimes. But I would say it is counterbalanced with the fact of, like, when you do come up with something that yeah. people like. And, like, people are like, that is so cool. I can't wait yeah. to use that. Or, like, they use it and they go, like, that really helps. I think it is, you know, it's worth it. It's yeah. just something you got to be aware of, like, going in. But yeah. but overall, I mean, I think it's a really cool fit. And wherever I do end up kind of working my full career, still kind of figuring that out, whether it's, like, in the entrepreneurship side, like, creating my own, like, yeah. kind of devices, my own company, or working for, like, a bigger company doing R&D. I yeah. do – I would very much like to stay in, like, the haptics, medical device space, somewhere where I know whatever I'm making is directly improving someone's yeah, life yeah. and uh, somewhere where I can work with people to yeah. kind of help yeah. develop these products. Yeah. yeah, I guess that leads into the last question. You're in grad school right now. Do you have plans for when you graduate? Um, um, I have like three plans. Not sure which one is um, it's going to fall into. I'm looking into kind of um, – so I'm from St. Louis um, and um, – Kind of. I'm at. Well, I'm not from St. Louis. I'm from Lake St. Louis, which is like 45 yeah. minutes west of downtown. Um, but the past couple of years living in the city, I've been very. Um, it's been a, uh, an interesting experience to kind of you know live very much in the city that I grew up so close to, but didn't spend a lot of time yeah. in. Yeah, and sure. it's kind of made me very passionate about doing what I can to help the city. Yeah. Um, just because it does have a lot of issues. So yeah. with that, I'm looking into kind of like startups and kind of the entrepreneurship yeah. sphere of like. You know, bringing tech to St. Louis and bringing tech that is helpful to St. Louis but can also create jobs and kind yeah. of create an environment um, to kind of help St. Louis kind of get back on its feet, you yeah. know, because it has been struggling for sure. yeah. the, the recent years. So that is one plan, um, but yeah. entrepreneurship is not the most stable of uh, <laughs> yeah. avenues. So yeah. I do have a backup plan, and that's kind of looking into, you know, kind of a more like research yeah. and development based engineering job. Sure. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need a plan right now. Yeah. It's just yeah. always interesting to hear what you might go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I, I have confidence that one of them will pan out. Just not sure which yeah. ones yet. Which yeah. it's kind of it's a little scary to not know where you're going, but also yeah. kind of exciting, right? If you yeah. know where you're going, why? Yeah. Why do it? Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool. I mean, you we're talking about you know a little bit about where you're thinking about going and so forth, but you know the product development space and getting that feedback. You know, I mean, we're we're um, recording this on an iPhone, and you know, we all know, like in the tech space, you know, uh, whether it's devices or websites, there's a lot of product development, user feedback, but it just there's so much more meaning when you have that kind of feedback when you're talking about devices that you're making that can actually you know directly impact people's lives at a at a different level. Does the iPhone impact people's lives? Absolutely, but you know, it's different than maybe working on accessibility parts of the iPhone and the software and, and so forth and um, there's um, there's a lot of you know work going on in that space you know to make you know example like websites more you know accessible accessible friendly and and um, so yeah it's, it's terrific that you're getting that experience now yeah yeah it's definitely yeah. like technically a, a super cool experience and I appreciate that you know kind of like resume booster style um, but also it's been a fantastic like learning experience because yeah, like yeah. you mentioned is there is kind of it is, I think, hopefully getting better as, yeah. you know, 
designers are starting to get better at understanding that um, creating a product that can only be used by a very specific group and then later patching in accessibility features does not work well. Yeah. And yeah. so it's been a really good learning process. My advisor, Jenna Kurlowitz, has been super, super integral and in kind of, you know, passing down this design idea onto me, um, as well as our, our lab yeah. manager, Jen, of passing on this I- idea that, um, you know, you can universally design something from the beginning that is a good product that is usable by a lot of different groups that has a lot of different avenues for use and it's overall you know universally acceptable yeah and in the end that's just a better better product for whoever it is you know it doesn't matter who you are um like a great example is like audio subtitles is like you know 10 or 15 years ago i think they were branded as like audio subtitles for the hearing impaired or something like that and then someone kind of had the great idea of like this is kind of silly everyone could use this yeah so yeah. like they just kind of made it you know easier to find in the settings and mm-hmm. they changed the branding in a way where now i watch pretty much everything with subtitles yeah and just yeah. that experience to learn that i don't know if i ever would have really yeah. understood that if i hadn't been able to work on a project like this yeah. you know in a lab like this where that environment very much um incorporates these ideas of, you yeah. know design design with people in mind first yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think one good example of accessibility for the disabled is good for everyone is like ramps like they're good for wheelchair users but they're also good for like people with luggage yeah yeah Yeah. it benefits everybody yeah a lot of things for people with disabilities benefit everybody yeah and it's that type of design definitely takes more work up front like it's not as easy as just making something you know immediately and quick yeah but also like I feel like it's pretty clear now that those, you know, it matters. That design yeah. up front is worth it, and it matters. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, thank yeah. you for your time. Thank yeah. you for your interest in, you know, it's, it's your passion for, you know, how you can, you know, the technology and how it impacts people's yeah. lives, you know, and the impact to this disabled hockey yeah. community. Um, thank you so much for that, and thank, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been awesome to meet you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, nice right. to meet you guys. Thank you. All right. Well, that was a terrific conversation um, with Colton um, from, again, from St. Louis uh, University. And um, sure, that was, I mean, absolutely amazing what they're yeah. doing with the technology. Yeah, the technology is really amazing. And I think if you get the chance to watch blind hockey, you should watch it. It's, as my brother would say, the loudest game he's ever watched. Um, and it's amazing, like, how well they can play. Um, and I think, and you'll get to hear more about blind hockey yeah. too. We have um, a tr- yeah, we have a terrific interview with someone who as a blind hockey player and yeah and not and only is it amazing. loud because of the the puck right it yeah. has those ball bearings in there but people are communicating and yeah they're uh, always shouting cause, yeah you know you can't commute you can't see each other um at most they have put 10 percent vision so yeah you have to compensate with other senses and the big one they use is sound yeah so they're always shouting and the puck is always rattling um so it's it's amazing like what they can do with as a sighted people you would be for those who are out there who are sighted you'll be amazed at how much they can do um without sight because i know as a sighted person i can't imagine what that's like 
to yeah, be able to do that without sight. Um, yeah, so I know it's possible, yeah. but I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I know, I can't, I can't either. And it's um, it's terrific that there's people out there like yeah. Colton that have a passion for this. Yeah, you know, to help with the technology. So and the technology, it's fascinating too. Yeah, yeah, and um, so we have um, another interview, and um, so let's um, let's let's go straight to that and talk. We have a great guest from USA Hockey. Yeah, we have a special guest today from USA Hockey, and if you could please introduce yourself. My name is Logan Spellman. I work at the USA Hockey National Office. I'm our intern in our disabled hockey department. All right. And what um, and what brought you to uh, USA Hockey? So I uh, I'm in the spring to going to college, and I uh, am majoring in sport management, which is a business degree. So Colorado Springs is Olympic City, USA. There are tons of national governing bodies. USA Hockey is one of those. So I came. I guess I started at Wheelchair Basketball, National Wheelchair Basketball Association. That's where I first started anything career-wise then. I had an internship at USA Triathlon. I had one at the USOPC. I had one at Tokyo 2020. I've been to US Figure Skating, a few other places, and I went to USA Hockey. Um, I never played hockey, but I guess I was super interested in what it was because mm-hmm. I saw like disabled hockey internship opening. I thought that seemed super cool. So I applied, I got it, and then it just, I'm so glad I did because it's been so eye-opening and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, that's just the story of how I started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that um, it was eye-opening for you and um, being a part of the USA, Hi- USA Hockey Disability Program. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I, I'm obviously a hockey fan. I never played hockey, but I know hockey, the sport. And I never knew about anything disabled hockey. I'd seen sled hockey on TV with Paralympics. But... To me, the nature of the internship with events and working with the teams is what I wanted to do. So before I even interviewed, I looked up, I looked up everything on the website and my, I just kept reading more and more and more and more and more. I wanted to really just make sure if, if I was gonna get into this, I knew what I was doing. So I was watching blind hockey YouTube videos, special hockey YouTube videos, sled hockey equipment, the rules of sled hockey, the nature of warrior hockey, the adaptations of deaf hockey, everything I could. And the more I saw, the more I liked and the more it perked my interest. And um, it was totally eye-opening because when you think of blind hockey, for example, you're like, how the heck does that even happen? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I knew hockey, but um, I guess I wasn't really aware of adaptive sports. And and I guess uh, the first wheelchair basketball thing I did and then this disabled hockey, it just... It's kind of a whole new world that brought me into. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Like, adaptive sports is, you know, we had a conversation earlier today with someone from San Luis University and how they helped mm-hmm. make some of the pucks that they used for blind hockey. And yeah. um, and then actually seeing it in practice, right, and actually seeing people playing and how it works. And, and you, you see, like, how fulfilling it is for the athletes and how meaningful it is for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh I guess that's what makes it all worth it at the end because this isn't on ESPN. It's not a mega sport event. Um, it's really more about bringing how great hockey is as a sport to the players. That's all about the players and the families. I think these players with disabled hockey and the adaptive sports world, they go through so much more than a typical able-bodied 
player or family would ever go through. And so it makes it that much more special, 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what I am. Well, so um, you mentioned that you were um, in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. I guess, for the last one. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not trying to compare Pittsburgh to St. Louis, <laughs> but... Um, this is um, the Centene Center is fairly new um, to uh -huh. St. Louis, um, and this is one of the goals of why this was built. You know, to help bring you know hockey to this community. Um, what's your experience been like so far well, with this event? It's been amazing. Pittsburgh was fun too. So this whole thing started in two thousand four, but so last year was Pittsburgh, and uh, it was great. So St. St. Louis here, it's it's also great. The local host here is awesome. You mentioned Centene is newer. Um, St. Louis has a huge, strong hockey community, but what's great about this event here in St. Louis, USA Hockey gets zero money from this event, period. They lose money from hosting these events. So St. Louis and Missouri Hockey, they get every uh, registration dollar, everything goes straight to them. And they can't just put that in their back pockets. They are required by USA Hockey to put every all that money into adaptive sports. So it's, it's all gonna cycle through and grow. So this isn't, it's not, it's a non-profit. USA Hockey is a non-profit. And so St. Louis has really showed their plan to do it. Not that Pitt, Pittsburgh did too, but St. Louis has like extremely detailed what they're going to do. And there's room that they're giving for leeway too. So um, I think St. Louis has been a great host for a lot of reasons. And um, it's been a great event. We're three days into the event so far and it's just been fabulous. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to hear that the money is going back into the, adaptive community for sure yeah did you have anything charlotte yeah. um thinking about like usa hockey and um working with um in the in the disabled hockey programs um uh, what are some of the um things that we can think see in the future or some of the goals that usa hockey is trying to accomplish well there's a few i mean i think with blind hockey, the ultimate goal is to make that a Paralympic sport in the Paralympics. Sled hockey is obviously in the Paralympics. Women's sled hockey in the Paralympics, which will be there very, very soon. The men's, obviously, team is, is so dominant. I don't really need to – I think everyone knows at this point how dominant they are. So blind hockey in the Paralympics, women's hockey in the Paralympics. But another goal that I think is more long-lasting is when rinks are built, they're not built with sled accommodations in mind, or at least so they weren't used to. Now, like we, were in, we were just in Anaheim for an event, and that rink was built with adaptive sled access in mind for that rink. And that shows that the future is being in mind for sled, and it's not really an adaptation anymore where they're fixing things to adapt to it. They're just building it for them. Yeah. So that is really the goal is to have most every facility that's going to be built, have it be built in mind with sled access. And what I'm talking about is from the benches, because sled, they can't step on and off the ice. Yeah. They they go through, they have ice on the bench floor as ice. Yeah. And it's it's really not that hard to build it that way. It's just you have to have it in yeah. mind. Yeah. So those are some of the goals. And then obviously just growth and membership and participation across the country. Um, you know, it's just, it's uh, you always want to keep things fresh too. You know, we don't want the same event to feel the same thing every year. Um, so, and that's where bringing each city has their own flavor to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, we, disabled hockey won't ever go away. So that's the ultimate goal is just keep it going. Yeah. Yeah.
Um. Do you have anything? Um. Yeah. I, yeah. This has been a, a a pretty amazing event so far. Um. The one thing that we talked about with um, um, the St. Louis University Lab. Uh, group where they they built the um, the adaptive pucks for uh, blind hockey. Um, that was interesting. Was we were talking about just that process of the product development and and one of the things that they're working on there is when they're looking at like adaptive technologies or accessible technologies is um, and it aligns with what you were saying is keeping that in mind when at the beginning when you're building something whether yeah. that's an accessible website or you know an accessible um, arena um, do you, is that something that you know you're working with um, uh, I know you mentioned that you saw this in Anaheim but is there are, are you working with different communities like where you know like they're building new facilities or um, making sure like or just kind of going through certain facilities you know where there is more um, like yeah. things like sled hockey to try to make those things happen. Well, I think the blind puck is awesome. First off, the, yeah. the adaptation, <laughs> and for anyone listening, I think uh, just just look into that because it's a super cool thing that's happening. But as for kind of just sharing best practices across the country is sometimes easier said than done. We have a disabled hockey section, which is a, I believe. It's over 35. I don't know the exact number of members, but it's all volunteer structured across the U.S. And so what I've learned from working in the national office at USA Hockey is there's only so much that USA Hockey from the national office in Colorado can do Mm -hmm. because they can't they can only do so much that the average rink owner in, you know, South Carolina, they can do whatever they want in that sense. So what we try to do is just share best practices yeah. The disabled section is awesome because we have a representative in each of the districts of USA Hockey. We have representatives for each type of uh, the discipline, so blind, deaf, uh, special standing, warrior, and sled. So we have a dedicated person for all those. We have a chair to oversee it all. We have an officiating person, a coaching person, and they all can kind of share what they're doing. So we try to just, I think it, that's worked effectively um, in just trying to help everyone grow. I mean, I think when I was before started, I was always told that people kept secrets from each other to try to like, you know, not really tell them how they've maybe had a good program. Yeah. And I guess what I've seen in my two-ish years here interning is a lot of the section and people across the country are sharing best practices, which is really how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so. What's next for you at uh, USA Hockey or, you know, even beyond? Like, what are you thinking about? Well, like I said, when I was, you know, a high school kid and even a freshman in college, I, adaptive sports wasn't on my radar. I guess I graduate from college really in like 50 days at this point. <laughs> Congratulations. And, um, thanks. And so I'd love to stay in the adaptive sports world. I'd love to stick on with USA Hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess we'll see where things lead. Yeah. But, um but I, I love to stay in the sports industry, and the adaptive sports industry definitely holds a special place in my heart. And I owe it all to USA Hockey and yeah. this internship. It's been fabulous. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for take, thanks for taking Thank the time, yeah, to talk to us. And this has been a great conversation. Yeah, and once we 
you know, push stop recording on this audio thing, we can still, you know, I, I'm happy to answer any questions yeah. about anything because I could talk all day long about how cool it is. <laughs> yeah. I really could. But well, I, yeah. I guess one last thing is, you know, maybe how are, what are some ways that people can help? Like, um, how can they, can they get connected mm-hmm. to USA Hockey? What, like, what yeah, are some I mean, things that they could do? Any, I mean, we're not ever going to turn anyone away that wants to help. So, you know, if you're at, if you're in the area where we have an event, at least come see it for a day. Because even if you don't play hockey, you'll be amazed <laughs> within 30 seconds of watching them play. Oh, yeah. No matter what discipline it is, you'll be amazed at it. Um, so, you know, just do that. And even if it's not in town with you, you look it up on YouTube. You know, there's plenty of information out there, I yeah. think. But in terms of helping, just... If you're interested in starting a program, you know, like just look up USA Hockey website, click around a bit, and you'll find our page and all. And there's email addresses on there. Okay. You know, so just just reach out. I think so many people are scared to try a disabled program and to to try something different. Like, yo, I don't, you know, I don't want to try a to make a special hockey program because I don't want to be trendy and like I want to do it for the right reasons. So actually, a lot of people are hesitant to start it. Okay. Which to me is so backwards, like the worst yeah. thing that can happen. So, you know, just if you're thinking about starting a program, believe me when I say that you'll have people that want to play because the population is out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. yeah, I mean, I think Charlotte, you've seen that, you yeah. know, within the Spina Bifida community. Like there's, there's yeah. an appetite for people mm-hmm. to get out and do things. Yeah. I know so many uh, wheelchair athletes. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of wheelchair athletes will play like wheelchair basketball in the summer and then sled hockey in the winter. It helps them in both sports, kind of like playing golf and baseball. Yeah. Each aspect will help you. So that makes sense. We see a lot of that. and um, But I think this whole interview is great. I'm curious to see what you've found out from doing it because I guess my, I think it's great that you're doing this. Yeah. But why? Like what was your incentive to start doing it? Yeah, well, do you so, want to talk a little bit about it? I I've have spent a bit for that. I've had... It's both the fact that I've had my whole life, but in 2019, I really got involved in the community, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Like, I never felt like I had that kind of community before. Yeah. And I quickly felt like I had a family, and I felt like I had a passion um, mm-hmm. for advocacy. Um, so I've grown to be a huge advocate for disabilities. Uh, particularly in the legislative world but also in other ways um and i love hockey and i love sports (laughs) um hockey and baseball um and so i kind of grew so i just combined the two Mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah it's definitely inspiring and i also kind of like a little bit of attention so yeah i like the idea of putting something out there publicly that i'm involved in yeah, um, and there's definitely tension in hockey. Like these players in sled hockey, they play they play to win, they play rough. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know it's not all you know jolly goodness. Like people play hard. It's hockey. Yeah. It's not at the end. It's hockey. It's a tough game. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I saw one game in the NHL the other day. Had a whole bunch of fights. <laughs> mm-hmm. We had yeah. a we just had a fight in a Warrior game not too long ago. Uh-huh. So, yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, well, thanks again. We yeah, thank you. Thank you for the time. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, awesome. All right.
Well, that was a terrific interview. That was Logan from USA Hockey. Um, and again, we will thank him for his time. And um, as with all of our interviewers, our interviewees, um, not us, interviewers, um, you know how to find us, but do you know how to find them? And we're, we're going to make sure we have all of their information yeah, um, and um, ways that you can connect, uh, like with USA Hockey, learn more about the SLU program, for examples. Uh, or just some of the examples there. But, um, These are really great people, and I know they'd love yeah. to connect with you and share their passions with you. Well, yeah, and speaking of passion, I think Logan, it was really, uh, you know, it was really amazing to see like how his passion has grown for, yeah, um, disabled hockey, and how he's being just a part, a part of helping USA Hockey make hockey more accessible to people with all kinds of disabilities. Yeah, from all from all backgrounds, all kinds of backgrounds. Um, seeing that that there's um, a, a really big commitment from USA Hockey. Yeah. Um, to do that i know they had a big presence at the event that we were at he was one of many people there from (laughs) usa hockey but he was i mean as soon as we mentioned we'd like to talk to someone i mean he about jumped out of his seat so (laughs) yeah Yeah. he's and i know he's got a big journey about ahead of him and excited to have him as what sounds like a long lifelong advocate for the disability community i know absolutely and well, so see what he does yeah no absolutely i'm looking forward to so. looking forward to that and you know so we have another another guest here this yeah. is our last um interview for this this segment and um the most exciting it's the most um, exciting it well it, <laughs> it, it was the most exciting. unexpected yeah it was it, the most unexpected and the biggest name yeah and so we have um a special guest um representing the st louis blues who um, have uh, the St. Louis Blues have played a big part in the community, uh-huh. and we'll touch on that a little bit after. But let's uh-huh. get to the interview. You'll really enjoy it. And with us today is the uh, president and CEO of the St. Louis Blues, Chris Zimmerman. Now, thank you for uh, coming, Mr. Zimmerman. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, I'm thrilled to run into you guys and, and hear, hear about your story. But, um, yeah, this is a really special event. Um, I, there's really no other team sport where you, you bring together um, people, you know, battling this many different things and able to play our game and come together. And it's so... Um, thrilled to be out here and seeing what's happening here. Yeah, and we're we're thrilled to have your support um, and to, that you would take the time to come out here for this. Um, yeah, um, just um, if you could tell us a little bit about um, for people who may not know, but um, how long have you been um, with the Blues? Yeah, sure. I've um, I've been with the Blues since 2014. Um, just completing my ninth season with the St. Louis Blues. It's been an uh, amazing um, journey for me, obviously including our Stanley Cup victory in 2019. Um, This season that is just about to end in a couple weeks, and for us, and without making the playoffs, a a tough year, but one in which um, we understand where we are and um, the types of things we need to evolve our team and get back to competing for the cup yeah every team has their highs and lows Um, yeah and i imagine uh the season's just ending but it's uh 
it's pretty much nonstop for uh, the folks in the front office like yourself and others. Yeah, I think uh, the off-season is one of the great misnomers uh, for people who work in the business of sports. We really, we work year-round, and, and in many ways, the off-season is, is actually probably the more important time because it's when we're working on all of our ticketing programs, sponsors, um, new marketing. So, um, yeah, we have a... Um, the season will end, and, and I assure you that we are well into planning for next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're looking forward to it. And, um, you know, one thing that, um, and so we've, um, you know, we're here at the Disability Tournament. Um, you have a lot of responsibilities as the president and CEO of the Blues organization. Um, tell me why it's important for the Blues to be involved in projects like this. So, first of all, this facility, we're at the Centene yes. Community Ice Center. Um, we built it really for it to be a hub for hockey in the Midwest and in many ways wanting it to be one of the preeminent facilities in the country to attract events like this. So we work, we've worked hard with USA Hockey and other entities at bringing these events. But um, the Disabled Hockey Festival, I think, is, is just an amazing event in that um, it is a chance uh, for teams from all over the country to compete whether it's in some really unique forms of competition it's of course there's a blind hockey division there's a deaf hockey um, special special hockey um, and so really a chance for people fighting different disabilities to express themselves and come together through the sport of hockey. I can't imagine anything that, quite honestly, would be much more important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's fantastic. Um, what kind of growth have you, and so being here today, it's hard for, I mean, we're doing this as a podcast, but it's amazing. There's so many people coming around here. You talked about it um, being a hub for hockey for everyone. Um, but what kind of growth have you seen um, in this, specifically in um, the Blues supporting um, disabled, the disabled hockey community in the St. Louis area? Well, I think, um, uh, you know, I think all of the programs that, that are here, and particularly the ones we, in, in most of the divisions, there, is, there are Blues-branded teams, um, whether that be blind hockey or special hockey. And really the, the most recent one we got involved in was warrior hockey, which is for um, veterans and, and particularly veterans who, who have had different challenges. Um, I will tell you that um, having gotten involved several years ago and seeing, I, I believe they have well over 100 players and I think maybe even a waiting list to get into the program and occasionally I'll get letters about players um, involved in the program um, where they've mentioned that in many ways their ability to be part of that team, part of that really community has actually been life-saving for them and so um, yeah it's those types of um, things that when our sport can can play that role and obviously when the Blues can play a small role in that and facilitating that yeah. that's 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 part of the gift of our game yeah no that's fantastic um, do you, thinking about like where where you're going in the future um, what are some of the goals with the Blues and supporting disability hockey in the hockey community in general in St. Louis yeah I think that for us um, 
you know, the NHL for some time has been working to make our game more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, we use the banner, hockey is for everyone. I think that this weekend is obviously a great example of it. You know, our goals for the future are to continue to get more and more kids exposed to the game, kids, adults, people of all ages um, and gender um, to um, connect with our sport. I think it's, it's a, we have a unique opportunity here in that being part of, t- of a hockey team um, and doing it at all ages and uh, even when fighting certain disabilities yeah. that we, we, we seem to be doing that in a way no other team sport is and yeah. um, that's a gift we'll, we'll, keep, we work, we'll continue to keep working to, to broaden. Yeah, you know, it feels like you know we were in the the Plager rink, and um, we were just watching some blind hockey, and you see the banners from all of the all of the um, clubs in the area that play here, um, and we've seen. I mean, I I grew up. I, yeah, it's been a long time since I lived in St. Louis, but the hockey community has grown so much in the St. Louis area, especially from an amateur perspective, and it feels like you know, like you mentioned, hockey is for everyone, and a big focus on that that the disability side of that, that's starting to, we're starting to see that growth now, you know, in that community yeah. as well, uh, which is terrific. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, yes, hockey, uh, um, you know, hockey came to St. Louis in 1967. There was one hockey rink uh, in St. Louis at the time. Now, I think probably we have 28 ice sheets across the region, and uh, the game is growing. Um, at all levels, you're seeing both at the very highly competitive levels, um, players like the Kachuk brothers, mm-hmm. Clayton Keller, Logan Brown. You know, lot more and more kids out of St. Louis becoming NHL players. So, yeah. Um, a lot of that driven by uh, the Blues alumni, which has a very strong presence yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And I think that Blues hockey has just become a very um, I think a really vital part of our community yeah. and we try to do we try to make a difference in multiple ways and yeah. obviously the work of growing our game and growing the exposure through disabled hockey is is, a, is something we're really proud of yeah, that's yeah. fantastic yeah. yeah I um one thing I wanted to make a comment on and I, I read this I think it was after I think it speaks to the inclusivity for everyone just uh, for the blues um, but it was after I think the outdoor winter classic and there were some articles about how the NHL um, really loved working with the Blues for big events. That you stood out, um, and you know all the other teams are fantastic, but just that you welcomed in the NHL team. You know they felt like they were part of the Blues organization from day one, um, and pulling off a big event like that, and just. I wanted to say that it seems like it was it speaks to the, the the inclusivity within the organization. Well, we, we that's that's really kind. Um, um, it, it's listen, what we get to do is a gift, you know, that we get to represent our city, that we have the resources to bring great events like mm-hmm. um, the Winter Classic and the All Star Game to to St. Louis, the NHL events team um, that we work with on things like that is amazing. And um, you know, we hope to continue to, to bring bring more big events to St. Louis. Uh, uh, 
We love working with USA Hockey. The World Juniors is gonna is a, is a great event for the top 20-year-old and under players in the world. We we certainly are going to uh, put our hat in the ring and hopefully maybe get a chance to host that amazing event in the near future. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, um, I w- really want to thank you for your time, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, on behalf of you know, I know it's important. You know, yeah. Charlotte has a lot of you know emotions and feelings around that, the support for um, uh, people with disabilities. So. Yeah. It's important to our family, and we thank you. Well, um, uh, thank yeah. you, and thank you for um, what you're doing and, and the yeah. work on the podcast. What a great way to, to yeah. tell the story. Yeah, we want to combat the phrase, uh, stick to sports, because sports are life, and you can't really separate sports and life. So. Well, yeah. I, you can so, imagine as someone yeah. who, who has spent most of the last 30 years trying working around sport, how, how much that warms yeah. my heart. So, so. Um, thanks so much for what you're doing. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate thanks. it. Take care. Well, Charlotte, that was, uh, that so, was, that was amazing. Un- yeah, certainly yeah. unexpected. You never know who you'll meet by just going to these events. Um, yeah. Like, we just happened to run into him. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. he was extremely warm and gracious um, with his time. Um, we haven't done many interviews. We're still, so, you know, can count on one hand, maybe two at the most. Yeah, he would have been on a gold star, like, list yeah. of, we don't think we'll ever get them. <laughs> but they're on our dream list. Yeah. Um, and we just happened to run into him. Yeah. That that worked out. Uh, that worked out really well. And, you know, I think, you know, towards the end of the conversation, Charlotte, you mentioned something about how, you know, um, you get frustrated sometimes when people say stick to sports. And yeah. There's a variety of reasons um, and, and different, um, you know, conversations around that. You know, and, you know, when we're talking to someone whose livelihood and has spent a lifetime in in the sports space how much that meant to him you know to hear that yeah. you know it's um you know we often forget you know uh, players and 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 the staff and the, and the front office and everybody yeah. right that supports these teams and, you know they go home after work just like we do mm-hmm. they have families and they're part of this community and i think it's um you know, you see a very heavy blues presence, um, St. Louis blues presence here at the Disabled Festival. Um, I, yeah. we, I think we saw a few teams, right? Um, for sure. Um, was it blind hockey? Uh, I believe. Um, we mm-hmm. also saw um, the special hockey team. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, a little history for our, our listeners. I believe in the mid to late 90s, the blues kicked off one of the first, if not the first, special hockey program, Gateway Locomotive, in the United States. Yeah. And I believe there may have been one in Canada. Yeah. Uh, but then it went nationwide. Yeah, and Blues Special Hockey has going to be so huge now. It um, is. It is. And, and I think we'll we'll hear in the next conversation yeah. some of the yeah. coaches talking about how big it's it's getting yeah. in other areas, too, uh, outside of St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and you got Blues Warrior Hockey now, which has a hundred players, um, and in a, on in a wait four list. different 
yeah. levels um, and a wait list so big that they've created the, um, what are they, I don't remember what they called it, but the social team, I think, um, where the players can, they can, even if they don't have space for them to play, they can still hang out with other people who've gone through the same things they've had. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Um, we'll hear more about Royal Hockey and Put 2. Yeah, and it's, you know, just, you know, a tip of the cap to the Blues organization for being a big part of this event. Um, I think Chris Zimmerman touched on that the Centene Ice Center you know, was built for things like this mm-hmm. and more to come, like the World Juniors. Yeah. Um, um, I, yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's a it's fantastic to see um disabled hockey rise significantly in popularity um in the St. Louis area, not not only in the St. Louis area, but in other areas too. And um the blues have been a big part of helping to push that in the community. Yeah. Um and I know none of these people can separate sports and specifically hockey from their life. Like hockey is their life. Well, and I think what we're going to see um, or, or we're going to hear in other conversations is how important it is to the players Yeah. to have the um, various adaptive technologies um, or accessibility opportunities yeah. to play hockey and what it means uh, to them. And talking about going just a little tidbit, we'll be maybe talking a little bit about going hockey around the world. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, this is you know tuned. there are players there were players here from all over the world, mm-hmm. which is which is fantastic. So, so that concludes part one, and stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Part two is coming up where we dig into um, coaches, mm-hmm. parents, and uh, players. Yeah. Uh, so those were some terrific conversations. So, yep, I'm pretty excited for part two. Yeah, me too. We talk to some great people. Yeah, I'm really excited to share that with our audience. All right. Thank you. Thank you.